Greetings and salutations and welcome to the saga of Steve Rogers. My name is Tom and I'm glad to have you here. If you've been here before, glad to have you back. If you haven't been here before and you just stumbled upon this wonderness that is the saga, welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, the email address is steve at sagaofsteverogers.com. If you want to send an email, you have a show idea, you have somebody I should be talking to, you have a question for a previous guest, you want to ask a dominatrix a question, or you want to ask an, an actor a question, a podcaster, um, a tattoo artist, one of my previous guests, anybody, anything, uh, send me an email, sagaofsteverogers, steve at sagaofsteverogers.com. You have a comment, you're like, hey, you keep doing this, you keep saying, um, motherfucker. You're 280 episodes in or whatever number I'm up to, uh, 270, and you're still saying, um, a whole lot. Fix your shit. Feedback is a gift. Give me that gift, motherfuckers. Um, either way, this is part two with Tristan Miller. So if you didn't hear part one, go back and check out the previous episode. Tristan is amongst other things, a podcaster, an actor. He's a stand-up comedian. He has a one-man show. He's an author, and he's a really fun guy. I'm talking to him about his podcast and his mental illness, which is what his one-man show is about, and his book is a series of poems that kind of have to do with that, but not all about that. It's not a depressing interview. It's a whole lot of fun. He's a really cool guy. Um, and we talked a little bit about New York, the COVID situation, what's happening there versus what's happening in other places. So I um, hope you enjoy it. Appreciate you listening. Share the wealth. Tell somebody. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash saga of Steve Rogers is the way you can give back. I appreciate you listening either way. If you can't do Patreon, you can't afford it, I get it. Just share the link on your social media. Tell somebody. That's all I ask. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Have a great day. Welcome to the saga of Steve Rogers. Some of the stuff you are about to hear are not for everyone. If you are a snowflake or easily offended, offended, do don't listen. Enjoy. That's that's what it should be about. It should be you learning yeah, yeah. about what you need before you can bring somebody in on a permanent basis and go, okay, I know what I need. Let's find what they need and see if I can give enough of me to them and them to me. And you know, do our Absolutely. do yeah. our socks look good together in the drawer? Or is that fucked up? It doesn't <laughs> work, you know. That's yeah. That's a nice metaphor. Um, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. It was, and I think but I do have this guilt for succeeding and I don't know, and I'm getting over it because I just don't care anymore. I've gotten to a point where, cause I was like hanging around specifically and I, I'm going to make a whole, I want to write a whole piece about this. of like weirdly the last couple of years, number one, and, but specifically the instance of like being quarantined and allowing myself to make whatever I want or kind of do whatever I want within the confines of my own home. You know, I started painting again. I've taken up photography again and it's really freed me from this notion of like, you should feel guilty for doing what you want and you should feel guilty for being, for succeeding and potentially being better than other people at it. And I think it's a very Midwestern and like, I grew up Lutheran and I think that that's part of it, but I think it's a very Midwestern thing to be like, oh gosh, you know, well, you know, I just can't, you know, 
claim yeah. to be that great, you know, and they're very self-effacing there. And then I was hanging around with a lot of people who were like artists and really wanted to be artists and actors. And then they would also go, well, yeah, but acting's dumb. I'm like, well, if you think it's dumb, stop doing it. You know, I think also a lot of people in my, my generation, I'm t- 27, by the way, Dan, you know, put some context in this. I'm not, I'm still learning. I'm still in that phase of my life, but right. I'm, I'm doing better. Um, but I think a lot of people in, in my generation uh, have a hard time accepting that, like, it's okay to be good at something. You know, there's a lot of weird baggage, emotional baggage about succeeding. We all want to succeed so desperately, but then we also all think it's not possible. It's strange. Wow, that is weird. That's an interesting perspective because as somebody who's 55 and I interact with people mm-hmm. your age and, and younger on the regular, I manage a, uh, a team at a call center for a bank. So I, I see people, you know, my, my call center is right by ASU. So we have a lot of college students that are there. And, and I would have never thought that people in that age group would be struggling with being okay with succeeding Honestly, my perspective was they all think they're a success when they're not. Like, it, it, that's interesting. God, that's really good. I'm, I'm going to have to think about that for a while now. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad I gave you something to think about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, a lot, I think a lot of it comes down to, like, the way, you know, the economy tanked when we were very young and how difficult that was. And, like, it, there's a lot of pressure, specifically with the advent of social media, to at least be perceived as very successful and very happy. And I think there's this undertone of like, it's not achievable because we all know it's fake, you know, via social media, you know, we all know that this is an idealized version, but it's also, we want it, but also like, but what's lucky about, I think millennials in general is the fact that we don't have that Gen Z, sorry, that Gen X, hang up of like quote unquote selling out. It's like one of those things of like once someone does the, the ideal is to make money. If you're an artist the, uh, or a content creator, the ideal is to be able to do this full time. Right. And I think it also comes from this place of like we, because we grew up in the nineties, the economy was booming. We were kind of told we could do anything we wanted. And then yes. that was not the case. And so in our minds, we all wanted to be artists, actors, you know, scholars, academics, not a lot of blue collar jobs, not a lot of, you know, doctors and lawyers and like regular, reasonable jobs that pay off in the long run. And because of that, when the economy crashed in 2008, I think that cut the legs out of a lot of us and cut the wind out of our sails and go, okay, well, none of this is possible. And so like there's this duality, this cognitive dissonance of desperately wanting success, but never fully believing that it will come to you. Damn, man, that was some deep shit. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, man. All right. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to circle back to that. I'm going to think about this in a little while. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, like I, I I hang around a lot of millennial artists. So like it's this weird thing and it's, I think pretty self-destructive 
because if you want something, if you love something, you should just go for it and like commit yourself to it. Yeah. And to believe yourself to be a success. And also I think there's this aspect of like, since we grew up more or less with the internet, that the, the instantaneous success is something we're not, a lot of us aren't used to waiting. I'm going to say that we're not used to waiting on things a lot of the time. And I think that angers a lot of people. But like, if you look at careers of artists, like some artists are not successful until they're so old, they die. Like, so, you know, it's one of those things of like, you, you will sometimes, you will never truly know your impact. And this is something I believe you will never truly know your impact on society until you are older or you are dead and then you don't know it. So it's one of those difficult things, but also whether or not you're a success, like you get to define those on term, your own terms, number one. But number two, sometimes you only get to do what you want for a living after 30 plus years of trying. And a lot of millennials, I think, have a hard time with that because they do look at people who have web series that blow up and it's so random with the web these days. Um, whether or not like it, it's so random, what is an ex- a success and what right. will get you, you know, followers Notice. on Twitter or whatever. And like, right. nobody knows. And so it's on the one hand, people, I think people get really disheartened by that. I think they're like, well, why isn't it me? I don't understand. Like, am I doing something wrong? Whereas like the way I look at it is like, well, at any moment it could be me. So why not keep trying? And that kind of goes back to why I moved back to New York of like, I think, I think success in the entertainment business is all about being in the right place at the right time. And there are more places and more times here. And it's not about necessarily like, you know, it's a for sure thing or whatever. It's just like this, the odds of like, cause there's just more to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's more eyeballs on, people and things and actions there than anywhere else ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it it was like I said, best of times, worst of times, million, million eyeballs Mm -hmm. and nobody looking at anything except the people that, that want to be seen or the people that are looking to see like everybody Mm -hmm. else, eyes down, eyes averted. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying, et cetera. Yes. (laughs) And, and, uh, Going back almost an hour now, because we're an hour and 10 minutes into recording. I don't know if you realized how long we've been talking, by the way. Oh, all good. Going back to the first hour, I caught the the um, Chinatown reference that you made there. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody yeah. else will get that, but I'm pointing <laughs> out that I got it, and I want my credit for noticing it. So. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bowed deeply. Yeah, I studied a, film. It was a deep pull because you paraphrased it, but it was mm-hmm. in the context of the. And I, I, I want to recognize that I didn't just let that blow over. I got it, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you. Awesome. I appreciate you appreciating it. <laughs> you mentioned mental health issues a couple times, so let's talk about yeah. that. Um, sure. when do you, when do you, did you first realize that you may have some kind of depression or some kind of mental health issues? Oh, um, I mean, it's consciously, it was always there. I was always like a sensitive kid going back to like 
whether or not I was a good kid, I was sensitive. That was for sure. I, things impacted me in a way that were disproportionate to the events. That was always clear. Um, and growing up and being homeschooled, there was no one really to tell me that because it was just my family. So I didn't really start dealing with the real world in high school. I started going part-time to public high school. And so that was really the first time or number one, I realized how sensitive I was. I remember the second day of school, going to lunch, sitting down by myself underneath a tree and just crying. And I couldn't stop crying because I was so overwhelmed. And, you know, I, I think that's like normal for like probably an eight-year-old, but for a 15-year-old, not so much. Um, and it became over the course of my teens, it became obvious that I was at least depressed, <laughs> At the very least, I I was depressed and like I guess there was a lot of self-loathing and I started acting not to express myself but to hide. Wow. And that okay. yeah, that gave it, it gave me a relief to not deal with myself because I didn't like myself particularly. And this is the case for a lot of actors. Right. Um, it's that duality of like you're hiding but you're also like egotistical enough to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, so it's a weird push pull. Um, since then I've acting has been more and more about revealing and exploring. And I, I like myself a lot these days, but not too much. You got to balance it. <laughs> um, but that was really the first time I, I was dealing with these feelings, but I didn't know how to deal with them. And so there was a lot of like misplaced, you know, male aggression, and luckily I had some good outlets, like doing theater was really helpful for me. And like I skateboarded all throughout high school. And so like athletics really helped that way. But like it was apparent that at least I didn't like myself and that I was, I was anxious socially because I was um, stunted, you know, I was because I had been homeschooled. So I didn't get a lot of social interaction. By the time so you I hit, was, when you went to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, you're fine. By the time you went to public high school, your siblings were older, maybe even already out of the house, right? So, yeah, um, yes. Uh, one, my the oldest was out of the house, and the other one was about to. They were just entering college okay. as I was coming into to yeah high school. So there wasn't a lot of like support there from my older siblings either, but like not on purpose. Did they do the same, did they do the same thing where they went to public high school for their high school also or no? Um, yeah, I think so. I think a little bit though, my older sister a a little bit and then the second sibling more so. Okay. Um, uh, they went, they and I did the same thing. Was that um, your choice they, or was that your parents saying it's probably better for you to start getting out into more social situations to. They like recommended it, right. but they did, weren't going to make me do it. Um, but I went to three years of public high school and into a post secondary education program at a local community college. Okay. So, so like there was a, it was kind of a crash course in social, sure. <laughs> social studies, if you will. For sure. Um, and, but yeah, I, I made the choice to go, yes, I do, because I do, number one, I saw how much my older sibling, like, was growing and having fun, and I was like, I, I would like that, too, for myself. And then also, <clears throat> pardon me, um, also, 
I, I did want to explore and get better at because I knew college was around the corner and I was like I, I should probably know how to interact with somebody because I I knew there was a weirdly large homeschool school community in Rochester so we would have like get-togethers like there was a homeschool band basically a community band and um a whole homeschool theater troupe and I would meet these people that were worse more adjusted socially than I. And I'm like, I never want to come across as that. I never want to do that. So I, it was a very specific, like, okay, I need to learn here. And I took the opportunity. And once I adjusted, it was pretty, it was pretty good. I I think I did okay because since I was only going part time, I could dip out at any high school drama I wanted. It was wonderful. Nice. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well I'm leaving at 1 PM. See ya. And there was nothing that anyone could do about it. It was very empowering. It, um, it might have also created barriers between you and people that may have wanted to bond with you because they're like, oh, I don't have that freedom. Fuck that kid. Like, why does he get to leave when I have to stay here the whole day? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I absolutely sense that for some people. Yeah. And then I also like, it also was another rule from which I was exempt. Up until, unfortunately, very recently, I viewed myself as the exception to almost every rule, having grown up being the only boy, having been the youngest, having gone to high school only part-time, having been, you know, there were so many exceptions made for me that I, I think subconsciously I thought that I was very special. And since then, I'm like, well, everybody is special, and that means nobody is. We have to just move on and just try to do the best you can to help yourself and help others. Um, But to answer your question, high school, high school is when I started kind of realizing I was depressed. Um, And then uh, my then girlfriend broke up with me and I was depressed and anxious. And what I would now call, um, I was in what's what I would now call mixed episode where I was like, which is where you have all the energy of someone who is like having a manic episode, but is depressed and you can't sleep for days. And it's like, you're just riddled with anxiety and depression and you're, you're up. And my mother was really concerned about me to the point where she scheduled an appointment with a, with a therapist, but the line was so long that it was two months later. And then by that time I was like more or less out of that period. But that was when I was about, 17. So that was like the first big warning sign or tent pole of like going, Oh, you probably have this bipolar disorder that you know, a couple of people in my family have. So that was really the first time that I was like, okay, apparently this isn't quite proportionate for most people. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, no, no. I totally get it. Um, and lucky your parents were able to recognize it. I mean, that, and they didn't think it was us oh, just, you know, transition problems between now he's homeschooled. Now he's going to regular school. He's having to interact with people and, you know, going through that, that growth, it, growth spurts, the stupid word, but it, that's what I was thinking in my head is a growth spurt mm-hmm. mentally having to interact with more people that aren't mom and dad and my siblings um, and learning new things. They didn't just think it was that they were like, no, 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 your mom was smart enough to go. There's something else here and, and, you know, try to help. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel 
very lucky that way that, that both my parents have been very aware and supportive of the situation. And, um, I mean, there was some of that of like, I, I kind of had mentioned when, once I got a formal diagnosis, like, why didn't you talk to me more about this? And my, my parents were like, well, we weren't sure if you were mentally ill or just a teenager because teenagers behave like mentally ill people. 100%. Um, Monkeys on crack is what I think about yeah. when I see my teenagers. Yeah. Like they're all, they're, you're all pretty wacko and they're all full of angst, you know, and they have all of these feelings and emotions and they think that the whole world is about them and you know it's it's difficult and that can either you know that's kind of normal for a teenager but then you know when you're an adult you go okay wait a minute let's take a moment and think about what we've done right um but yeah that was like the first instance and then going back to what we were talking about when i moved to new york for the first time um it really became apparent that I, I could seep into these depressions and, and I wouldn't sleep. And that was like, I clearly was going through some cycling there, you know, uh, going up and down. And then once I started living on my own, well, living with roommates, it was weird. I lived with a, a then, um, my then best friend and my sibling. And it became apparent over the two years we all, we three lived together that like, I was I was really self-medicating using alcohol and it, it became clear that I had some sort of issue going on. And part of me moving back to Minnesota was to like address those issues and begin to like really get my my shit together mentally and emotionally. Well, you mentioned that bipolar kind of runs in your family. Does alcoholism or addiction also run in the family? Um, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, I, we haven't had anyone like go to rehab or anything. There's never been any intervention. That being said, I don't know, like, you know, a lot of my extended family is significantly older than me. So they, they and they're from Minnesota and South Dakota, so they don't really talk about they're, it much. They're Does old school. Sense? Yeah. They don't talk about their feelings. Yeah. They're like, that's just silliness. That's yeah, just that's just much. Eric. You know how he is. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, Jim Bobby's just that kind of way. You know? He's it's just like, that guy. You know, don't leave your kids over there. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's fine. You know, he's just kind of a jackass. But you know, we love him. Makes good chili. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. He makes good chili. Oh, yeah. that's great. Oh, makes a heck of a hot dish. That George will hate you though if he gets mad enough. Like, it's weird. Um, but yeah, not that I'm aware of, but like, it, it became apparent that like, that was a, an issue for me. Um, and, and it, and it was like not helping. It wasn't working. And no. So like, at all. Mm. And it took me years though to choose to stop drinking. And I've been sober for, I think, four years this month, I want to say, yeah, because it was 2017. Sorry, three years, I guess. <laughs> no, it was 2016 because it was May before the election. And everyone said to me, why is now the time you've decided to stop drinking? <laughs> Now's the time <laughs> like, a lot of people I, are starting to drink. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I understand what you're saying, but also it's for health reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah, so it's been four years this, this May. Congratulations. 
thanks. Um, I don't miss it other than when I'm depressed. Like, other than, like, I don't miss it that often because, and if you're thinking about quitting drinking, here's two recommendations as to why. Number one, you save so much money. Yep. That was one of the things that, like, I when I was, like, kind of weaning myself off of it, I was like, I should cut back. I would only drink when we went out, so that would limit me to, like, two beers or one cocktail, right? So, like, I was like, okay, I'm kind of controlling myself. The other thing is you lose weight when you stop drinking, and you feel better about yourself. You're, you aren't as slow. So, like, if you want to be rich and be thin, stop drinking. <laughs> That's my PSA. That's my very selfish reasons. In my head, I'm hearing emotional. In my head, I'm hearing the the more you know music, like ding ding ding. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you want to be thin? You want to be rich? Stop drinking. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> it's my serotonin, and I need it now. Yeah, go. yeah. So tell me about the mental health podcast. Like, do you sure. you talk to other people in the industry? Um, it's specifically about mental health and the arts. And so it's because like, there's this whole, there've been, there've been a bunch of studies. There's the number one, there's a great, um, book by Kay Rutherford Jameson, I think. Yeah. Rough, rough field Jameson called touch by fire, which is a, basically a compiled list of like, here's a bunch of artists that have bipolar disorder. Now, you know, um, Pardon me, but there's this whole been this whole conversation surrounding like, do you have to have some innate trauma, or do you have to have some sort of mental health issue in order to be um, as artists with any merit? Essentially, um, there's that old like you know adage of I can't remember who said it, but like if I get rid of my demons, I'm worried that my angels will go away too. So it, it stems from that perspective of like, do you think, how does your mental health relate to the things that you make and your art or your content or whatever it is you're making? So it's about that specifically. So I sit down with other creators and I, I talk to them about that. I also have had um, neuroscientists on and therapists on to talk about things in, in a general sense as well. So it's kind of a mix of both those things that sounds interesting how many episodes of that have you done that's the 100 mark we're coming up on that um at the end of may and it's mental health awareness month may is mental health awareness month so it's a nice it'll be a nice send off to the end of the month to have 100 episodes of that under my belt and the amateur detective club how many of those do you have um I want to say 67. Um, we were doing every other week and then we started going weekly once we were all in quarantine because we had nothing but time on our hands. So, uh, yeah. Um, so we've been doing that. And so we are coming up on 67 and that's been really, a, I just a joy to do because um, I do it with two of my best friends. And so it's once again, like I, I used to trap, I've always been this way. I've trapped friends into making things. That way there's an obligation for them to talk to me, you know, socially speaking. I have a hard time just calling someone up and going, hey, how are you? But I'll be like, do you want to be on a podcast and talk, you know? Um, but plus, it's wonderful. Plus you get to control the the topics and the <laughs> narrative. So it's also a little. Yeah. 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 I'm a little anxious. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm a little anxious about people. Um but yeah, but it's been a wonderful gift, gift to like do something with 
my two of my best friends and then deepen a relationship that way. And I feel that way about the people like that I've gotten to talk to for the other podcast too. Of like, I feel incredibly grateful and lucky and privileged to share even like an hour of somebody's time to, to talk about something so intimate as like the inner workings of their own mind. Like it's such a gift. It sounds, sounds interesting, man. I might have to check it out. Mm-hmm. The last podcast you do is the one that's sporadic at best. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were, yeah, we were doing it every Saturday and it's um, basically my girlfriend has watched a fair amount of anime Growing up, I haven't. She picks an anime for us to watch, and then we talk about it. But here's the thing. She does, like, a lot of research. We've been going, we are going to the Evangelion series and then the movies, and there's just, like, a lot of research and psychoanalysis research that goes into it. And so she was just had become exhausted by it, and she's like, I don't want to do it anymore. Plus, she her screenwriting career picked up a bit. Nice. So she didn't have time. Yeah, it's great. She like had a full time job on a couple of productions as well, and so like she both of us just didn't have time for it, which is a great reason to do it just kind of whenever. Um, but it's that's a joy to do for a very similar reason of like I love the excuse to talk to my girlfriend, like I trap her for forty five minutes or whatever, and like <laughs> we're forced to hang out and actually talk, as well as like about something specific and like to learn new things and new opinions from her is always, that's always wonderful. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. That's some of my favorite episodes of my podcast are with my wife. I, I've, uh, our episode will be two sixty nine and two seventy. We'll do two hours. So I'm 270 hours and I used to do twice a week. Wow. Then I do once a week. Um, but I've, I, I just love doing it. It's, it's free therapy. Like I used to go to therapist, twice twice a month now i just do this and i talk to interesting people <laughs> hear what their lives are share ideas talk about you know whatever whatever's interesting to them whatever's awesome to them tell me what's awesome about your life tell me what sucks about your life and i, and I don't pay a therapist anymore so it's pretty fun <laughs> uh, yeah that's good i'm glad you like have figured out like because it's a lot of it's just about connection you know 100 percent you know, and I think we're all specifically now craving a lot of connection that it was always apparent, you know, that that need was there. Very you took much. A, like a lot of, a lot of people took it for granted that they were able to hang out with friends or whatever. Whereas like I've spent time on the phone with friends now more than I ever have. I've checked in with people I haven't checked in for, with, for months now. And I was like, oh, I was so consumed by my own life that I wasn't considering these other people that I care for. Yeah, I actually I was thinking about that the other day. I was I was adding somebody new to my phone contact list and I was like, "Oh my god, look at all these people. Like they got they made it from from casual human being to my contact list. That's a big step for mm-hmm. me. I'm not a collector of people. So if you're not just a number that I get a text from and you get a name and a, a picture maybe even added to your contact, you you count." And I'm like, "Fuck, look at all these people that counted to me." that I just haven't talked to in so long. It, it makes me wish I was better, a better friend to them. But, mm. you know, it, it's tough. Yeah, you have like seven kids to deal with. Yes. So I think, they'll, I think they'll forgive you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. But yeah, um, 
But yeah, it's been wonderful to reconnect with a lot of different folks and like living with my girlfriend, like other than us getting irritated with each other every once in a while, it's been actually really nice. It's been like, we're kind of forced to talk about things like talk about new things. And that's been really great. And like learning new things about her and sharing new things with her has been really, there's a lot of weird, and and I know this situation that we're in is very dire and very serious and very scary for a lot of people, myself included, but specifically in New York. But there are also like these little moments of goodness in it. And you should try to find the positive in this negative situation. You see what I did there. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, look at you play. Yeah. What? It's like yeah. you're, it's yeah, like yeah. you're a writer or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> it's like you're all creative and stuff on me all of a sudden. No, what? no, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of writing, I got your book. You sent me a copy of mm-hmm. your the the PDF of your book, and I started to read mm-hmm. it. My daughter, who's sixteen, loves poetry, and I started reading the first couple pages. I was like, I'm giving this to my daughter, Faith. So I gave her, oh. I gave the PDF to my daughter, and I, uh-huh. I was like, "Hey, I want you to read this, and I want you to tell me what you think." And she hasn't finished it yet, but uh, she's really enjoying it. So I gave it to her before oh, I got a chance to read it. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that it's found its intended audience of 16 year old girls. <laughs> no, <laughs> which I actually kind of uh, do actually feel that way of like a lot of the stuff that's in there is really like over emotional. And I think a lot of young people can relate to it. There's a lot of poems and short stories that are like, I don't know. She's, um, she's huge into poems. She's just, it's just all of a sudden out of it, out of nowhere. She's gone from wonderful. YouTube makeup videos to, Hey, will you buy me this book of poems? I'll put it in the Amazon cart. And I'm like, sure. What the fuck are you doing? Like all of a sudden you're getting a personality. You're coming online again. Like I saw you come <laughs> online at 12 and you're like, Hey, look at that boy. I'm like, Oh no. Now it's a different kind of coming online. You're coming online mentally and, and you know, you're, you're blossoming into something other than just a biological being. You're starting to think, you know, deeper. And it's interesting. I love that. That's wonderful. And I'm glad she's enjoying it. Like, I feel very strange about that. Like I started recording the audio book for it. And, um, and I was reading some of this and I know who all the poems are about and like who, you know, what, where I was when I wrote them and looking back and like going back to the thing I said earlier, like thinking that I was this emotionally invested in someone I don't talk to really anymore is so strange. And like, and like looking back to see how like miserable I was making myself surrounding specifically like relationships and stuff like that um, has been, was really eye opening and like it, it made me happy for me now. <laughs> Sometimes feeling sad for your past self makes you happy for your current self. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, Tristan when he was 23 was really a schmuck. Thank God I'm not him anymore. And maybe I'll even become an even less of a schmuck as I get older. Here's hoping. Or more of a schmuck, but you're yeah. Schmuck. Who can say? <laughs> Who can say? Yeah. I did the same thing. I went back like my podcast kind of started as a blog. When I got divorced, I was like all weird and depressed. And I was like, fuck, I'm single in my 40s. Who wants to do this, man? And 
dating <laughs> dating and seeing the shit that people were saying and doing to each other. I was like, God, it's like people hate each other, but they all want to be on top of each other. And it was just, it was just, it was a mind fuck. It was really weird. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta find some creative way to get this out of my head. So I just started writing a blog and, and I go back and read it now. And I'm like, Oh my God, I was angry at every one of these people. Like I was so judgmental and looking at it now, like if I saw these people now and I see people that do the same, you know, that live that same life in my world now. And I'm like, I just kind of chuckle about it. But at the time it, it, it took me to an emotional place I wasn't prepared for because I was so vulnerable, just being divorced, never wanted to be divorced, going through this time of like, purging and restarting everything over. It was like a flush and restart of my life. And I, 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 you know, saw all these things that I didn't want to see in humanity. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so depressed to be on this planet anymore. It was really weird. Uh-huh. So going back and reading it, I was like, I actually did a podcast where I picked a blog at random and I just read it. And then I editorialized uh-huh. like what I was really thinking at the time. And it was horrible. Nobody liked it, but I loved it. it <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it must have been very cathartic. It's very strange looking back at things like that and like where your priorities were, even yes. like two years ago. Yep. Like it's so strange. Um, and I think it's good to do self-reflection as long as you don't get caught up in those feelings of either nostalgia for good feelings or sometimes you can be nostalgic for being sad and being angry or feeling negative, quote unquote, negative feelings. You know, feelings are whatever are neutral. What you do is negative or positive in my opinion. But like you, I'll sometimes get wistful for a time when I was upset about something, which is a weird thing to do. But I think in my experience, everyone does that of like, Oh, I remember how much, I think it comes out of wanting something to mean that much again. And it always happens. Like when I'm fine and I'll go, Oh man, I really missed this time. It's like, well, why are you thinking about that? It's because you want to be upset about something. Okay. Well just don't be upset. It's fine to be fine. You know? Yeah. So I, and mine's just the opposite is where I look back at it and go, God, I was really fine, but I wasn't like, I'm doing revisionist history. Like I'll look back Uh, thinking about the times when I wrote those horrible things. And I was like, God, I was being so creative for the first time in my life. Like (laughs) I had no bounds on me. Nobody was holding me back and I was bursting with creativity and positivity. And I read it and I was like, Holy fuck, you were an angry dude. What were you so (laughs) mad about? And it's, it's, it's really interesting of how, I thought I was one way and I was like, I'm just, I'm writing wrongs and I'm going to tell these people, people are going to read this and they're going to be like, Oh my God, you're so smart. We need your, it was, it was just anger. It was just crazy (laughs) anger. And to read it now, it's, it's interesting that I was ever that way. It's weird. Really weird. Yeah. Yeah. It is strange. Growing older in general, no matter where you're at, is such a strange process. And like opinions change too, like sure. and the priorities and like, like I, for, this is like such a minuscule example of, I was recently on a podcast about, you know, movies and I was watching, we rewatched clerks too. Love um, that movie. You know? Yeah. Um, and I remember when I first watched it, really not liking Rosario Dawson's performance. And then this going around watching it, like I watched it like two days ago. I'm like, she is the best actor in this whole damn movie. She is. She is doing, she's so cute. She's so charming. What was I thinking that I didn't like her? What was going on? 
it, it's very interesting about like how even like subtle things like that, like taste change, you know, um, like my, my predilection for big action movies has really narrowed. Like I don't, I don't, I still haven't seen Endgame, and I don't think I ever will. I just don't care. <laughs> you know? Wow. See, I'm just the opposite. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a go to the theater guy and I have to see those <laughs> fence post movies in the theater because it's an event to me. It's weird. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, all that being said, I'm huge into Star Wars. Um, don't get me started about this last one, because then we'll go for another three hours. But, like, but I, I just, like, my tastes have changed in a way. And even, like, my love of Star Wars has changed. Of Like, I, I used to be so obsessive about this. And, like, I even turned to my dad last time I visited. Like, I wish I'd focused on something that was in the real world to be this obsessed about, like, even if it was space, but like actual space, maybe I could have like done something with that. Whereas like, I don't like, I can tell you Panda Baba is an uh, Aqualish from Aqualish. And he's the guy that like shoves Luke in the first movie, but like, that's not useful information. Sorry. He's an, he's from, he's an Aqualish from Ando, but anyway, like that's still not helpful. That doesn't do me any good. Doesn't pay the bills. Exactly. Unless they start a star Wars podcast, but there's always like a million of those anyhow. So like what the, you know, and it's just like, I wish I'd focused on like, even like I'm, I just got um, a new camera and I'm going to start making my own short films, which is something I wanted to do for years. And I, and I had this other camera that I. Are you there? Your phone just okay. cut out. Oh. Sorry. Um, I think my headphones disconnected. Is there you go. Okay. Yeah, now I can hear you. So the last thing I heard was I had this new camera. I had this old camera and then it went and made some kind of horrible sound. Okay. Um, well, basically um, what I was saying was I had this other camera and and I was just playing. I got this new one. I'm going to start making my own short films, which is something I've wanted to do for years. And that, so I started playing with this old camera that I my parents had gotten me. Once again, they're so indulgent of me. God bless. <laughs> um, before I moved to New York, so I could take all these great photos. And it was just one of those things of like, I wish I had fully committed to that. Like, I wish I had been the things I'd been more obsessive about the things that I actually wanted to do and the practical skills that surround those things rather than like the, the, the trappings and like things like basically it's the, the adage youth is wasted on the young, you know, <laughs> like I had all this obsessive energy, but I went towards like playing video games and star Wars and not like learning how lenses work on a camera, you know? Yep. Which is something now that's useful. Like I, yeah, anyway, the amount of free time that you have when you're young, you take that free time for granted and you use it on shit that's mindless. Like I said, my kid sitting there watching YouTube videos on mm-hmm. makeup for hours and hours and hours. And I'm like, you're not, you're watching people lip sync to other people's songs. Like, what are you doing? How does that grow anything? But I like it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's mind numbing. But then what's mind numbing to me? You know, it's like if I think about I'd be in the car with my dad when I was a kid and the music he would listen to. And I'm like, oh, my God, he wants to listen to Elvis Presley or what's 
Mm-hmm. That's a Tom Jones song. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. What kind of bullshit is this? That's what I'm thinking in my head. Now I'm like, I listen to Tom Jones. I'm like, that guy was awesome. Like your yeah. tastes change. So my kid, hopefully some point in life will look back and go, God, that YouTube time was wasted. Or maybe she'll be like a YouTube celebrity and make billions of dollars. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah. Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> who can say? But yeah, I absolutely understand. It's so, so strange. And like, and what's weird about this quarantine thing is like, I feel like everyone's reverted to the last time. Like if you have become unemployed, like I have, you kind of revert back to the time where the last time you didn't have a job. And for a lot of people that's high school or college. And I feel like a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of that <laughs> lately of like, okay, how did you behave when you didn't have any the quote unquote responsibility? Um, and that's been interesting. Lots of people sitting me, around eating Cheetos and playing video games, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. And yeah. what I learned is like, oh, what I like to do, what relaxes me is making things. And I'm really lucky that way. And so it's been kind of a joy to be as creative and free as I was when I was younger. Because I remember I was like fiddling around with cameras and I was like um, – filming skateboarding videos with my friends and editing them. And now I'm doing like, it's been weirdly freeing. Once again, it's like a terrible situation we're in, but if you can find the small positives, you know, that helps. But like, I wish, (laughs) I wish I had gotten a little obsessed over something that wasn't a fake world. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, very much so. It's it's easy to get caught up in someone else's reality, to, you know, the spectacle of like the sky, the sky, the Skywalker trilogy, and a, oh my god, look yeah. at that other world! He's living such a fascinating life. He was a, a moisture farmer, and now he's the biggest, most powerful person in the world. Why not me? It's like what? Just stop, mm. stop. Make make the best French fries you can make. If you work at Wendy's, be the best French fry person ever. That's amazing. Yeah. Like don't yeah. don't be a you know don't look at the sky for everything to come to you. Work for something, and hard work pays off. And blah blah blah. Now I sound like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do agree. And for me, I realize now that like falling into those worlds for me, I think was like a weird sort of avoidance technique. And I was also like kind of on my own a lot because as I said before, my older siblings kind of clumped up together and they tried to make an effort to try and include me when they could. But like overall, we just kind of had different interests. And so I, I was kind of isolated growing up. And so I definitely fell into that world because I was like, it sparked my imagination and I, I could sit for hours listening to Star Wars audiobooks or watching the movies over and over again, just playing with my action figures and like really falling into it. And it, it's weird now. And what's cool as an adult, as an adult creative person, is the things that I'm falling into more and more are things that I'm making. And I think that's been a really helpful shift. And I, I think that's been kind of, I don't know, it's been really wonderful to feel that way. about It's, it's nice to feel good about yourself. I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but it's nice to feel nice about yourself. 100%. Like, I mean... The the reason why I did the blog was to get shit off my chest, and the reason why I do the podcast, like you mentioned earlier, you're you're wondering. I, I said nobody listens to my podcast. My family doesn't listen to it. 
But I, I have thousands of people that listen to every episode, and I'm just like, please, somebody send me an email saying it sucks or I hate it or it was awesome and it was good, and tell me what you love, what you don't love, and then you get that one email a month, and you're like, yes, somebody mm-hmm. listened to me, somebody appreciates, or somebody hates it, and they're still appreciating enough to tell me what they hate because they don't want me to keep doing it. So, Yeah, someone heard me. Yes, I was heard, and they and and the call to action worked. Like they didn't just hear me and go, "Ah, fuck that guy." Like they heard me mm-hmm. say, "Please tell me what you hate, tell me what you love, tell me what you want me to keep doing, and what you want me to stop doing." And and mm-hmm. that one person that does it, it's like, oh god, I reached that one person. You know, you have thousands of people listen to an episode, and then you're like, but that one person wrote me an email. Like that's the guy. That's the person I mm-hmm. really reached. Yeah, absolutely. I felt that way. Um, I've done, like, uh, like I mentioned, I toured my hour of comedy about um, bipolar disorder um, to to the Fringe Festival and to Minnesota, and like, and doing sets around New York City of stand up. Like, I've I've had people come up and be like, "Hey, this really resonated me for with me for X Y Z reason," and thanks so much. And like, that's what I care about. Like, I went up to um, Connecticut to do the show and people came up and were like this I don't know like it, it means something when your art impacts even just one person and it really helps you know you want it helps you wanting to keep doing it yep. so like feedback is good you know other than like what's unique about a comedian is obviously you get the immediate feedback of like does this joke work but even beyond that of like going either this resonates with me or like I did have someone come up to me once and like, you're really funny when you're focusing on the happy things. And I think you should focus on the happy things more. I'm like, okay, so you just disagreed with the premise of the show. Exactly. Which is sometimes things are bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so rewarding to know that, um, you've, you've touched people in some way. And that's, if you're not, if you're not doing it for that reason, you're probably doing it for a wrong reason or, a less right reason if not a wrong reason if that makes sense a hundred percent yeah hey man it's been awesome talking to you i appreciate your time man yeah uh it's been great talking to you as well tell people where they can tell people where they can uh hear about you read about you get links to your podcast all that good shit okay sure thing um number one i have a website everything is there uh but i'm going to give you other specific things the website is uh, tristanjmiller.com. It's got everything on there. Um, but also you can follow me on Twitter at, at J, Tristan J. Miller one um, during the weekdays. This is something that I uh, started when I had still had a work commute on the weekdays. I'll do like morning affirmations, you know, to try and like get myself and others going in a good direction. So if you're into that, you should follow me there. Um, I'm also pretty funny on it and also weird on it. Um, <laughs> You know, it's pretty good. Um, those are the main two things. The, the podcast that you mentioned, like they're on all the places. You can go to any place that has a podcast pretty much and you can find Positive and Negative, which is about mental health and the arts. And you can find Amateur Detective Club, which is a comedy murder mystery review show. <laughs> and don't forget the Amazing podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, an amazing podcast, which you can also find everywhere, which we'll, we'll get to in a new episode when we get to a new episode. It's been really funny because we've been in quarantine. I'm like, is today, is this week the week we do a new one? And she's like, leave me alone. And I'm like, that's fair. And then, <laughs> then I just record a dozen other 
of other people's podcasts. Um, so it's fine. But yeah. Also, guys, if you go to his website, you can support him just like I say on my podcast. It's fan supported podcast. You know, there's no advertising. This isn't the Adam Carolla show or Joe Rogan show. I don't have, you know, a, a million advertisers. The way you can help out if you enjoy it, patreon.com. So it's patreon.com forward slash. Is it Tristan J. Miller or is it for individual shows or can they just follow the link on your page? Um, it's all of those believe it or not. Cool. Um, it's, I have one for amateur detective club. So if you like that show specifically, you can give us money at, um, patreon.com slash ADC pod. Um, there's links to both of these on my website. And the other one is Tristan J Miller. And that's all the, the thing I've decided to do the way I've decided to explain it is it's art and media about and for mental health. So I do video essays about mental health, representations of mental health in various movies or TV. Um, the next one I'm working on is based around the show community. It's been absolutely arduous, um, <laughs> but really rewarding. Um, but I also have like soundscapes that you can like meditate to there that are there and like, um, comedy bits, you know? So it's like a mix of like both talking about mental health and then also things that will hopefully promote your own uh, mental well being. Um, and there's a bunch of podcasts and I've started painting. And so there's like stuff like that, visual art, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. And then also that history podcast that we mentioned earlier, the entire backlog of that podcast is available if you give me a dollar a month. So there's like 50 plus podcasts there. So if you're interested in that, go for it. It's less than a cup of coffee. This is my sales pitch. Thank you. That's what I say on my show all the time. I'm like, for the price of a hot dog at Costco, a dollar fifty, less than mm-hmm. that for the for the cost of half of a candy bar for a dollar, you could support the show and, and keep the lights on, help the arts mm-hmm. pay back for all the equipment, the time, the energy, whatever. So absolutely. Yeah. Just, it's um, been a pleasure, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thanks, man. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Susu Studio, live long and prosper. Make better choices, get better results. Um, don't don't sit next to the guy that peed on the train. Just get away from him. It's okay. He'll be fine. <laughs> thanks. Bye.
Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what the good book states. But it's hard for me to be joyful when all I hear about are my mistakes. Well, I don't care what people say about me behind my back. 'Cause me and the man got it all figured out. Me and the man in black. Well, I got. Figured out, me and the man in black. Well, I got cash. 